This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Chris Turner was a 23-year-old man from Las Vegas, Nevada. He was the father of one and very close to his family. On the evening of August 5th, 2016, he was going door-to-door in his apartment complex looking for his girlfriend. During this search, he had a run-in with a neighbor, but the two men parted ways without it escalating. The next morning, Chris left his apartment. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. Have you lied today? Oh, come on, you know you have. Maybe somebody asked you how old you are, how much you weigh, or if you really did have that mullet in high school. Of course, you tell them that pic is photoshopped. Lying is a part of life. Sure, honesty may be the best policy, but if we were all honest with each other in our daily conversations, we'd all have at least one felony on our record. Why? Well, because lying often smooths out situations. And also, if we were truly honest with ourselves, would admit we love being lied to. In fact, we often expect it of others, especially on those topics where we are most sensitive. And within that, the fine line between a good lie and a bad lie can be found. If the lie is to protect somebody else, many times that can be rationalized as a moral move. But if the lie is to protect ourselves, and we do it enough, we start straying in the direction of immorality and sociopathic behavior. As you have already guessed, in this episode you're going to hear about a person who I am pretty sure breaks the record on Unfound for the most lies told concerning a disappearance. Telling so many that even people who know her can't even keep them straight. It will be up to you the listeners to determine if all of her stories are lies and worthless, Or, in there somewhere, is a nugget of truth that could determine what exactly happened to Chris Turner and why. And now a summary of the case. At this time, Chris Turner's disappearance is not on charlieproject.org. You will find out why very shortly. Chris Turner and his girlfriend Nicole moved to Las Vegas, Nevada in May of 2016. Despite warnings from various people, he chose to move away from his family and his young son, Ryan. In Las Vegas, Nicole and Chris shared an apartment in a rough part of town. They both worked in an Amazon warehouse, but then Chris got laid off 
while Nicole got to stay with the company. At the time of Chris's disappearance, he was unemployed. Although details are still sketchy, what is accepted is that on the evening of August 5th, 2016, Chris was anxiously combing the apartment complex looking for Nicole. He was going door to door asking anybody if they had seen her. The reason? It is suspected that Chris believed she was cheating on him with another resident, although this has never been proven. During the course of this search, Chris had an argument with a neighbor who found Chris's door pounding and behavior to be bothersome. Neither man came away from the encounter with any injuries, and when questioned later by a private detective, the neighbor claimed his interaction with Chris was really no big deal. Nicole denies ever cheating on Chris, and her impressions of that evening are much different, with her insisting that she saved Chris from being beat up by five men. Whatever the case, Nicole insists Chris got to their apartment and spent the night. The next morning, a Saturday, she says Chris left the apartment early to go to the Carpenters Union building. Chris has never been seen again. He left his wallet, among other items, in their apartment. A factor in Chris's disappearance could be his recent acceptance that he was bisexual. In fact, after moving to Las Vegas, he entertained the idea of becoming a gay porn actor, with him making a couple of connections in the business. There is the theory that Chris left his life voluntarily to pursue this career. Complicating Chris's disappearance is the fact that Las Vegas Metro, although first opening a missing persons report, has now closed the case due to alleged sightings of Chris. The interview for this episode is with Chris's mother, Dawn Turner. Unfound news. Although I'm recording this in Pennsylvania, by the time you hear it, I'll be back at my apartment in Madeira Beach, Florida. I live exactly 200 steps from the Gulf of Mexico, so I'd like to extend my thoughts and prayers to my neighbors right across the Gulf in eastern Texas, all those who have suffered due to Hurricane Harvey. The pictures and stories are heartbreaking, but it's times like these that it's nice to see that we can put our differences aside and come together as Americans. And now that I'm back, I'm sure things will be happening very quickly with Unfound between all the projects I've told you about. Although I could get episodes done every Friday while I was here in Pennsylvania, it was truly family time, so many other things had to be put on the back burner. I look forward to sharing a lot of new aspects of Unfound in the next month. Finally, the listeners of Unfound never cease to amaze me with their insights and attention to detail. After episodes, they often email me, asking me questions about the case that I wish I would have asked the guest during the interview. Hey, I'm not infallible. But if you also find yourself after an episode still having questions about a case, I urge you to join the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. Most of the Unfound guests are members there. You can have access to these family members that you won't get anywhere else. Trust me, they want to hear from you. But remember, be respectful. Where you can find Unfound in the previously mentioned The Unfound Podcast discussion group on Facebook, on Twitter, at Unfound Podcast, on Instagram, at Unfound Podcast, on YouTube, The Unfound Podcast channel. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe at Podomatic, iTunes, and Stitcher. You can also find Unfound on TuneIn Radio and very shortly on Spotify. And please mention Unfound at WebSleuths, Reddit, 
podcasts we listen to, and all other true crime websites and forums. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm very happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the mother of Chris Turner, Dawn Turner. Dawn, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Tell the listeners a little bit about your son, Chris. What was he like? What are some of your fond memories of him? Maybe uh, did he have any brothers and sisters? What can you tell the listeners? Um, I have five children. Chris was the oldest. He's 24. He would have been 24 in March. Um, He was a gentle, he was very tall and strong and athletic, but he was um, gentle. And he never left the room without hugging me. Um, He was kind and sweet and always helpful. And um, he embraced his friends and family. He was very family-oriented. My fondest memories of Chris are just his random stop-ins to say, hello, he loved me. Um, He loved spending time um, with his brothers and sisters. Um, Recently, we were recalling... um, a pillow fight that he started with his younger brothers. Um, at the time they were four and five and they were throwing pillows and they shattered a antique light in my living room. And, um, and it was just comical. Like that was Chris always playful and like he wanted to be a part of family always. Did he was he interested in sports? Did he have any hobbies? What were where did his interests lie? Computers, video games, anything like that? Um, Chris was outdoorsy. Um, I talked to his stepdad, um, my ex Christian, about often we couldn't find Chris because he would just go on runs, like he would run fourteen miles. He would. You know, I think that's how he got high. Like, that was his love, was running. Um, As a small child, um, my dad, Tom, got him into dirt biking. So um, he was, he always excelled at whatever he did. Like, if he did something, he did it very well. Um, But he loved, he loved running. Um, He ran 5Ks, he ran marathons. Um, That's something that him and his sister Ashley did together, my 17-year-old daughter. Um, So Chris was um, not necessarily like book smart, but when he did something, he did it really well. And he was very loving. Um, Around my birthday... He, I had a van and my van 
like started acting funny. And like one day my son just brought me like his car and he said, I don't want you to be taking the bus or out in the cold with my brothers and sisters. And he gave me his car. Like that's, that was my son. He just, he never really, he wasn't a self-centered person. I think he knew he was attractive, but he never really, he wasn't like a brat. He was very humble and kind and sweet. And modest. He was very modest and, um, but he took pride like in his body. Like he, he often would, you know, he always was looking out for me. So he would always tell me, mom, you need to get healthy. Like, let's go for a run or let's go to the gym. Or he was like my motivation. He was like the motivational speaker in my life. Like he always wanted to see me do better. And I think that that's the impact he had on everybody he was around. Um, And when he was in the room, you just couldn't help but not smile. He, his smile, like I felt so itty bitty in his arms, like when he would hug me. And um, even during difficult times, he always said like, I love you, mom. Um, Never once screamed at me or raised his voice when he should have. Like I made mistakes as a parent. And, um, did he grow up in he Reno? Did, did he did he spend all of his uh young years, teenage years into his twenties uh in Reno with you? Um, he did. It was um he actually he was born and raised in Reno and um we had moved to the Bay Area for a short time and moved back. During the last part of um him before he went missing, he especially took an interest in bonding with Christian. That's Ashley's dad, my 17-year-old's dad. Um, they became really good friends. Like, he owns a tile company. So Chris went and learned job skills with him and learned tile. And Christian was always really amazing in his life. Um, You know, we didn't always communicate. Christian had remarried um, a woman. So he was living in Reno. He was very close to your ex-husband, Christian. But he also had a young woman in his life, Chris did. Her name was Destiny. What can you tell the listeners about her and their relationship? Oh, gosh. They had, like... um... (sighs) They had a beautiful relationship. Like, I was so happy. They both went to Job Corps. Um, When Chris enrolled in Job Corps in Reno, I moved right down the street from Job Corps. Um, And so often, Destiny and Chris would come to the house um, to see the siblings or, like, have lunch. Uh, They were very good together. They both were into athletics, and they both ran together. They both went to the gym together. They were a really positive influence. Um, When she got pregnant, we didn't really have any worries at all because they both were, like, madly in love. 
um, like if you wanted somebody like with my son, if I would have chose a woman for him, it would have been destiny. It was just perfect. How'd they meet? I believe they met through Job Corps. Through Job Corps. Okay. They both attended. Yeah. Um, like right away, it was just really apparent. They were really cute. Um, Halloween. Um, I had these big metal. I still have one um, outside of my house. These really big metal barrels that are used as planters. Halloween, they would hide it. They made like this um, makeshift like haunted house and they were scaring all the little kids that were trick-or-treating. Like they just had fun together. And um, they ended up, after Job Corps, they moved into a little trailer and they had a dog and, um, you know, she became pregnant and it was really kind of a, like a fairy tale. Like it was everything I wanted for him. He was really happy then. And how long were they together and why do you think it kind of went the wrong direction? Um, they were together, I'm going to guess, almost three years. Um I can only speculate that they moved to Vegas. They moved away from family. Um, when she got pregnant, they were in Vegas. And Chris was um, like head of maintenance of a hotel. And so they were living in the hotel um, while he did maintenance. And he absolutely loved this job. Um, Things went bad. I think that Destiny was lonely. And I think she was seeking attention elsewhere. Um, mm. When that breakup happened, that's the only time in my son's entire life I saw him very depressed and very, like, I literally had him on my cell phone for a 24-hour period. I was very worried. Um, that's what led him back to coming back to Reno um, is things fell apart with them. And I think, I think that at that point they were young and I think destiny was making some wrong decisions. He was working very hard for her and the baby. And I think she got lonely and, and he had found some text messages uh, mm. to another man. Even after, even when Chris was with Nicole, at one point, he came to me and he said he loved Destiny and he wanted to work things out with her, um, which I don't think would make Nicole happy. But right. And I don't think that anybody shared that information with Nicole, but he really loved Destiny, um, which is why it's kind of surprising that Destiny didn't take more of an interest in him missing. All right. And we're going to get into that. We'll get into that a little later. What I want to talk about now, though, is after Destiny and Chris's relationship were over, was over, how did he meet Nicole? Uh, where was he? Where were they? How did they run into each other? They both went to North Valley's high school together. So she always had a crush. Nicole always had a crush on Chris. Um, right after... Um, the split with Destiny, Chris called me and said, 
this woman, Nicole, is driving to Vegas to see me. And I'm like, what? You just, like, broke up with Destiny. And I figured it was just a rebound, you know. Like, he needed – I was happy at the time because I'm like, well, maybe he needs to rebound and get over the heartache. Uh, right away, Nicole drove. Like, she got in her car and, like, drove to Vegas to see Chris. And and ever since they were together um, – so when was this? What do you remember what year or maybe month this was? How long ago? Well, baby Ryan was just born. Like literally Nicole and Chris's relationship happened like right after the baby was born. The baby was born, like the problems that occurred with Destiny and Chris happened while she was pregnant with the baby. So baby Ryan was little. Um So he's two now. He turned two in October. He'll be three. Um, So it had to be 2014 sometime. 14. Late late 2014 when he Late 2014. Okay. So when he and Nicole uh, met, she drives down to see him. And uh, how did that go, her going down to see him? Um, they were inseparable ever since they just never left each other. Um, I, I just had my issues with Nicole right away. My first meeting of her was, um, the cheesecake factory. We went to dinner and it's in the mall here in Reno and she left for a little bit and I was like, what's going on? And she came back with a dress in my size. Like she bought me a dress from uh, Forever 21. And right away, it just struck me wrong. It was like she was trying to, I don't know, buy my approval. Trying a little too and hard. She was, she was always doing that. Like she always bought me stuff and it made me feel uncomfortable because like as a grown woman, as Chris's mom, you want to provide for the kids, but she like constantly was buying me stuff. She showed up one day with a new bath set for me that she picked out in her colors. And it, it was always like that. Um, and my mom um, was a very strong woman. She always voiced her opinion. And my mom told Nikki, like, she just didn't approve of her. Like nobody really, we were like, this is not, this is not the person that Chris is meant to be with. We knew that. Um, and I think that Nicole caught Chris at a time in his life when he was really down, like at his worst. So he gained a loyalty for Nicole because she picked him up when he literally, it's the only time in my son's life he was sad, depressed, at one point, I thought he was suicidal, like when him and Destiny broke up. So Destiny picked up the, or Nicole picked up the pieces. And I think that Chris was very loyal. And he just, he put up with a lot of stuff because she was there for him. Now, somehow you, Nicole, and Chris all ended up working together. What can you tell the listeners about that and what went on uh, there, some very underhanded things went on with Nicole in particular, but what can you tell the listeners all about that? How did that all happen? 
We worked at a warehouse called Fosdick, and it was literally the best time of my life. Like, I was able to work next to my son all day, and we had fun. We were laughing. Um, you know, there was issues while we worked there. I kind of felt like a mama hen the whole entire time. Girls found Chris um, attractive. He was very attractive. And so girls would flirt. and. You know, Nicole is uh, Filipino. She's short. She's a little chunky. And there was beautiful women hitting on my son. But he never indulged that. He never, like, he never flirted. He just was cute. And when he smiled, you wanted to be close to him. He just, he was mellow. And you loved being around him. So it didn't really shock me that other women found him attractive at work. So the downfall of um, us all working together is women were flirting with Chris, Nicole would get jealous, and there's a side of Nicole where you don't cross her, like you don't. And so she often would just be like, she would make statements like, I'm going to kick that off if she looks at Chris one more time. And I would just laugh because I'm watching this couple in their 20s and I'm going, this he's not even indulging it. Um, but at one point, Nicole got intoxicated, um, actually, and she was outside of my house. And the landscape is all rock. And she fell in the rocks and she got bruised up. She ended up going to Fosdick. Um, I recall a black man by the name of Mike we had worked together at other warehouses. Um, we all worked through a temp agency. Mike came up to me and said, Nicole is telling other people in the warehouse that Chris beat her. And that's where she's got her bruises. And I was like, what? So I called her out on it in front of like the warehouse. These men at work were literally going to jump my son after work and I had to fix the situation. Um, and Nicole eventually admitted to her lie. Like it was me and Bridget and Nicole. Bridget um, going on in the story ended up being their roommate. Mm -hmm. But me, Nicole and Bridget were sitting there talking and I was like, Nicole, you can't be telling people that my son beat you. Like you fell on the rocks outside of my house. And um, I literally had to save my son from being jumped after work one day. And it was starting to get really out of hand and not fun anymore. Um, and I think that she was just seeking the attention of other men. And at one point, Nicole told me, oh my gosh, like when I met Chris, like she made it, she always said that Chris held her back. That's why she didn't go to school. That's why, you know, she, she's the one that was controlling and she, she couldn't be away from him. You couldn't go to the store without her, you know, like she had to be there. So she, at one point told me she worked at a steakhouse at the silver legacy. And she said that she dated a man right before Chris about her flowers and romanced her. And she didn't know why, like she, she could have all that. But she chose Chris. Like, she was Chris's savior. And she gave up her whole life for Chris. And it was very dramatic. Like, And this was all happening like she, in Reno? And this was all happening in Reno? 
In Reno, yes. Okay. But at some point, all of you three didn't work together anymore. Why did that all end? And then how did Chris and Nicole end up going to Vegas, moving back to Vegas? He was there. He goes back to Reno. How did that all happen that you three working together ended and he and she left Reno? Um, Chris and Nicole were living with Nicole's parents. And it was apparent right away um, that there were problems. Chris was trying to play alpha male in Nicole's house. Like, like, and I tried to explain to Chris, you can't, you're living in her dad's house. You have to respect the rules. They ended up having a huge problem with each other, uh, Nicole's dad and Chris. So I invited them to live with me. So um, Fosdick eventually laid a lot of people off, and we had to move on to other assignments. Um, when they lived with me, there was problems. Um, but I brushed a lot of stuff under the table because I, I knew, I knew that once I, I expressed my feelings about Nicole to Chris, I would lose my son. He was just that loyal to her. And so, um, the last day that I saw my son, I had had it with Nicole. She was bringing stolen property into my home. and. I little by little, I kind of was telling, and some weird stuff was happening. Like Valentine's Day, Chris said, Nicole, go get my mom's Valentine's Day present out of the car. And she goes, oh, I gave that to my mom. It was a perfume from Victoria's Secret. Um, and he kind of looked at her like, why, <laughs> why would you give your mom my mom's present? Things were getting very heated. Like it was just like, wow. Um, and that's why so they I had finally to leave. said, and that's why they had to leave. Yeah. I just, I said, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I didn't agree with the way Nicole was taking care of baby Ryan. She was acting like weird. I think she was like, she, I would come home from work, um, at three or 4 PM and she'd be sleeping on the couch. The baby would be in his playpen he would have a crappy diaper and he like would have a rash all the time around his mouth. And then she would get up, shower, primp herself like a half hour before Chris got home to make things seem normal. And I just, I just started going no. So they left here and I believe that they moved in with my cousin Savannah and her husband and their kids. And they also saw the same poor care of the baby while Chris was at work. And, you know, we, I don't know, we just started having a feeling like this is going to go downhill real fast. So I didn't learn from my son or Nicole that they were moving to Vegas. I ran into Mike, the, the man from Fosdick, and he goes, oh, yeah, I talked to Chris and Nicole. They're going to move to Vegas. Because what happened is the fight, um, the argument where I told my son, she's not allowed here, but you are. And Nicole caused a huge scene in front of my neighbors, like sped up in her car, 
screaming at me and telling me to give, give, give her back everything she ever bought me. My son was like, give me the car back. And I'm like, are you guys serious? Like, I just couldn't have stolen property in my house. I had young kids and I'm not going to go to jail for them. So, um, Mike had told me that he ran into Nikki and Chris and that they were moving to Vegas. I never talked to my son. I never had communication with him. I believe my cousin did. And he talked almost daily with Ashley, my 17 year old. And he called Christian, my ex frequently. Um, but I feel like I, I don't know why I think they were just trying to get away from the troubles and they moved to Vegas. And when did they move to Vegas? Um, I believe it was May. Um, May. It was in May before he went missing, three months before he went missing in 2016. Okay. And what do you know about when they got there? Did they get jobs? What did Chris do? What did Nicole do? Do you have any ideas on any of that? What did they do for money or anything like that? They, um, they worked at Amazon in Vegas and, um, Nicole's story is that Chris got laid off before she did. Um, I'm assuming that they could have worked through a temp agency or maybe they were hired on, but, um, so I guess things started going downhill. Like Chris wasn't bringing in money. He probably felt the pressure, um, Rumor has that he got laid off and she was still working at Amazon. So the like reality was probably hitting them that like life wasn't easy trying to make it in a town without your family. Like, so and, the, and um, they had their own apartment. They got their own apartment down there. They weren't living with anybody else, anything like that. Right. They have their own apartment. Okay. So what, when did you find out? Um, that Chris was missing. He's there for three months. I mean, how? First of all, how often did you talk to him after he moved to Las Vegas? I never talked to him. Never. Like they went at the time when we had that argument. They both they didn't have phones, so I didn't talk to my son. Um, mostly, I would check in by talking to my cousin Savannah or my daughter. I would ask family, like, how are they doing? I figured it would just pass. Like, my son loves me. So, you know, and I remember in my 20s having a year off from my mom, too. Like, it's just you get to a point where you butt heads. And and um, Chris had a loyalty like I had, so I knew he was not going to take my side when it came down to Nikki. Um, so... August 17th, I get a phone call from my father, Tom. Sorry. And he said, Nicole just called me and said that Chris has been missing since August 6th. And right away I knew. I knew he wasn't coming home. Like, who waits that long? Like, if he was abducted, if something happened, if somebody killed him, like, if something happened, that's almost two weeks. That's two weeks that we could have helped him. 
And she called my dad in California and my son wouldn't go to Auburn. My mom was very sick and my dad was taking care of her. My son very rarely went to Auburn. If he would have went anywhere, he would have been in Reno. He would have been on my doorstep or at my cousin Savannah's or with my daughter. We just knew right away that like something was wrong. And she and she had your number. I mean, she could have called you. I mean, even though you and she did not get along very well, she could have called you. She didn't do that. How did she have your dad's phone number? Is that a number she just carried around or did she get that from somebody? Do you think? I'm thinking it was in, they shared a cell phone. They shared everything. They shared a Facebook page. They shared a cell phone there. Chris couldn't make a move without her knowing about it. Like, so they shared a cell phone. Um, when he went missing, of course, his wallet, the car, um, the phone was all with Nicole. And so I'm thinking that, you know, the number, uh, my parents have had the same number forever. So I'm assuming that my dad's number was in her phone. Um, but right away when I talked to my mom, we both, we both, my mom and I both knew from the get-go that we were looking for a body. We're not looking for a person because Chris would have been here. He would have been here. It would have taken him one phone call to get on a plane or a bus. I would have gotten in my car and driven to get him. So would my cousin. We all talk and go the timeline between when Nicole places him alive on the 6th um, to the 17th, you know, when they would argue, she would be out driving around the town. Like he, they would argue and he would leave. He would say, I'm not arguing with you. And often she would call me and go, Oh my God, he's out on the streets of Reno. Like I have to find him. She would drive around Reno. She would come to my house. She would go to my cousins, you know, between August 6th and August 17th, she didn't contact a single person. And if my son was anywhere, he would have come home or he would have been like at his best friend John's in Vegas. Like she never told anybody. And for some reason she goes and files a missing persons report on the 7th, but he went missing on the 6th. I mean, who does that? He's an adult. He could have been at John's house or here. She filed that missing persons report without even trying to find out where he was at that time. I just found it odd. Like, what are you doing? So it's a little contradictory. Uh, it's a little contradictory. On one hand, she's filing a police report the next day, but then on the other, she doesn't call any of Chris's family for 11 days. He could have been here yeah. and not missing. Of course. She never called it. Sure, sure. Sure. So what'd you do? What did she say to your dad when she called? Did she give any explanation any kind of, why well, I last saw him here. Did she say anything like that when she called him? She said he left depressed with a Bible, which is, I mean, I've had to develop a sense of humor, like, over this, or I'd go crazy. Um, number one, my son never, ever read the Bible. And he, like, to get my son to even go to church. I mean, he, he believed in God, but he just wasn't into, like, reading the Proverbs every day. So she said, oh, he was depressed, left with a Bible. Um, so, you know, just right away, of, just, my dad was... Just kind of walked off, just kind of didn't yeah, take the just, car, just kind of just roamed out of the apartment on the morning of August 6th, and that was it. 
Yeah, he's, she said to my dad that, um, and she states to this day, that he left telling her that he was going to be a better man for her. He, he was depressed and he left saying he was going to be a better man for her and never came home. But then, see, me and my cousin Savannah, we're the only girls, like, in the family. So we feud a lot. Like, we're both kind of the babies, and we've had some problems. At the time, me and Savannah were feuding, and um, Chris was very close with Savannah. And I would frequently, like, get updates through Savannah, like, how's my son, whatever. But we weren't talking. Um, when this all went down, and I was talking to Savannah, and she said, no, he left on the 6th uh, for the Carpenters Union to get a job. Um, but he didn't take his wallet or his cell phone or car, nothing. Um, we called the Carpenters Union. They had moved from the close address. So he would have had to have money on him to take a bus or get there. And plus, he didn't have, like, Nicole had everything. Nicole admitted she had his social ID, birth certificate, everything. And so the story wasn't making sense. And he never went to the Carpenters Union. And plus, it was a Saturday, and I don't think the Carpenters Union office would be open on a Saturday. It was a Saturday. Right. Then, so what did you do? You got somebody to go down there uh, and kind of sniff around at some point. And then also, what can you tell the listeners about a story that Nicole told you about uh, the night before August 5th? What, what can you tell the listeners all about that? Well, I mean, first of all, when Nicole called, I called Nicole on the 17th after she called my dad. And I told Nicole, I'm filing a police report here in Sparks, Nevada. Um, and she was very against me doing that. Oh, no, I filed a report here in Vegas. And I said, well, it's my son. I'm going to file one. Um, and talking, to, like, what happened is me and my cousin came together because we're like, all right, let's put our differences aside. We have to find Chris. We have to find out what happened. The stories were so surreal that we both put a recording app on our phones. Um because it was outrageous. And I felt like if I went to detectives with all these stories, they were going to be like, you're crazy. Um, so I made sure that like I had evidence of all the stories that Nicole has said. Um, and so Nicole had stated that the night before Chris and we did have somebody investigate and Nicole's story was he got jumped by five black guys in the apartment complex. Um, right away, my head was saying, well, what kind of lies did you tell them to get him jumped? Because my son did not start fights. He was not a fighter. He he was very peaceful, you know. And um, she said he got jumped by five black guys and she had to jump on top of Chris and save him from these men. Um, when the investigator went through the apartment complex, he interviewed the man that my son actually fought with. My son had gotten word that Nikki was cheating and he was banging on doors looking for Nicole. And one guy said, you're not banging on my door. So they went and had a brief scuffle in the parking lot. Um, but friends had told the investigator he wasn't bruised up. Like there was no, he didn't get jumped. Like he, he had a brief scuffle. And again, we were like, here's another story from Nicole. 
because I was going to bed at night envisioning my son being kicked by five men. I mean, I was devastated. And then I'm thinking these men picked my son up and killed him. Like the attention wasn't always on Nicole. It's just that her behavior was weird. But then when I found out he wasn't jumped, I really said, why, like, what is her motive for saying he was jumped when he wasn't? I think the listeners need to understand something, though. He was going, Chris was going through his own apartment complex, banging on doors, looking for Nicole. Why was he banging on other people's doors instead of going to his own apartment? Can you explain that maybe a little bit? Because he, neighbors had told Chris that Nicole was cheating. Nicole had disappeared. Cheating with somebody else in the apartment complex. I believe so. Or. Well, later on, I had a phone conversation with Nicole three weeks later, and my son had just gone missing. We were discussing her giving my son's property to Christian, my ex. Um, We wanted his wallet. We wanted his personal belongings, his clothing, anything we could get, we wanted. She promised to give that to Christian. But one night when I called late, um... It sounded like she was having a good old time in her apartment and there was a man in there and I became absolutely angry. There's no way that my son would approve of her having a man in the apartment. And I said, is that a man? And she said, yes. And I, I flipped my lid and I, I, I actually told her because at the same time, my son had come out to John saying that he was gay. Like whether my son was gay or bisexual, whatever, my son was in the process of finding himself. And I don't think that made Nikki happy. And so I got mad and I told Nikki, were you mad that he wanted to sleep with other men and not you? And we got into an argument and I said, what did she say? Yeah. What'd she say about that? Did she think that, Chris was gay or bisexual? Did she buy into that? She, um, well, my son had been recruited by a transvestite at the gym. Um, T.S. Foxy is her name. Um, He sent me a picture of her saying, Mom, look at this woman. This is before Nicole came into the picture. Look at this gorgeous woman I met at the gym. And I kind of laughed. I was like, Christopher, look at that woman's hands. Like, that is not a woman. I'm like, you need to talk to her, like, have a conversation. Um, things were happening with my son. He, like, on my, on my 38th birthday, my son took me to the patio. It's a gay bar here in Reno. And we had a good time. We did karaoke. And then my son was like, let's go back to your house and watch a movie. And I said, okay. Well, he rented Magic Mike, like, part two. (laughs) I was like, what? I found it, like, but I loved my son. And my family, you know, my family is very unconditional. If there's a mistake to be made, my family has done it. So Chris wouldn't have had to ever hide anything he did. He told me everything, even if it scared me. So when the argument with Nicole happened, I asked her, are you mad that he wanted to sleep with a transvestite and not you? Um, And words happened. 
And I said, Nicole, I'm going to find out what happened to my son. I'm going to find my son. And she goes, you'll never find your son. And she was very, like, she was very evil. When she said it, it sounded evil. And from that moment on, I said, okay. You know, I've asked her. Because she's like, leave me alone. Like, when the podcast hit for Vanished, we sent, you know, my daughter sent that to her family. I wanted them to hear. I wanted her, because I know if she's lying to us, she's lying to her own family. I wanted them to hear the lies. And um, so she Facebooked me and she goes, you, you need to leave me alone or I'm getting a TPO. Leave the people I love alone. And I said, Nicole, if you take a lie detector test, I'll leave you alone. And she goes, get a warrant and I will. That was her response. And she said, uh, the, she said that you will never find Chris. This was not even a month after he disappeared that she said that. Yes. All right. And that was the yes. same conversation in which you called and you heard another man in the background. It was the same conversation. Yes, I was, I was angry. Like my son had just gone missing. We later found out from neighbors that she cleared out the apartment. She threw all my son's belongings in the trash. She never intended to give his wallet, his birth certificate, his clothes, his journals, nothing. She threw it all in a, a dumpster. And right it, after it, he went missing. And it's all gone? Or did you ever get any it's of it? Gone. It's all gone. Nope. It's all gone. She promised. She told Christian, because she moved back to Reno. So she told Christian and Ashley that she was going to bring his wallet. That's all we wanted. That's all we had of him. But she, you never got and anything. You don't have anything of Chris's that was in that apartment when he disappeared. She threw it all away. All the way. Okay. So my question is, did she like throw my son away too? Like what happened? You know, if you, I don't understand. Like my mom passed. I have all of her stuff. When somebody is gone, you want to hold on to their stuff. That's all you have. And she just, she just threw it away, you know, like, so it affected us pretty hardcore. Did uh, this private investigator that you had that went around and discovered that it wasn't five guys that Chris got into a confrontation with, it was just one guy, and it might have just been a guy who, you know, was just wondering why, you know, some kid is going along banging on all these doors, it, you know, and I've lived in apartment complexes in Las Vegas, I used to live in Las Vegas, so I know how that can be, but did your private investigator discover anything else, anything else suspicious and maybe the night before that morning while he was poking around asking or talking to people in that apartment complex. Um, he, I, mean, I mean, sorry, I'm trying to think. He basically, he basically just stated that Chris was a little irrational. Like he was concerned, like, Nikki was nowhere to be found. They were always together. And Nikki kept tabs on Chris. So it was like, if one of them was missing from the other one, you, like, I could see where he would panic. Um, Nikki became Chris's world. So he's getting, he's, people are telling him she's having an affair. His heart's probably broken. Plus she's missing. She just disappears and he's going, this is Vegas. So, I could see where he'd be like, is she cheating? Did something bad happen to her? So he's going around banging on doors. But the only thing 
Um, I had neighbors come forward on Facebook. You know, they they never had a bad thing to say about Chris. It was always like, mm. but in the end, it was getting very toxic. It was, I think this is the second woman that he loved, and he was finding out that she was having an affair. I could see him losing his mind over it. Definitely right. banging on doors. Right. Right. Did I know you hadn't, of, of course, hadn't talked to him since he moved to Las, to Las Vegas. You two had a falling out. Did he ever express to anybody else in his life? Did he talk to your ex Christian or anybody else saying that he suspected that Nicole was cheating on him? I don't know. I like, I don't know if he discussed it with John. I think that all of this was happening without a, like within a 24 hour period. I think it started on the 5th. Um, so it might have been just calling. something. It might have been just something that he discovered right then, just that day, yeah. August fifth. It could have been just all of a sudden. I believe that it was August fifth. He just neighbors were fine because Chris was a sweet person. So if they saw somebody, like if they thought Nicole was not treating him right, I could see where they would go to him. And then he's banging on doors, which that's not like my son at all. My son's very, he never let anything get to him. He was the one that always told me, chill, mom, everything's going to be okay. Like, there's no reason to get worked up. Like, he would see me get worked up and he would calm me down. My son, I, like, like I said, he never, even when he had a reason to be very angry at me, he never, he never called me a name. He never yelled at me. He never... You know, I think the way that a man treats his mom, it says a lot about him. And sure. my son treated me good all the time. So I think I'm, you know, I had a hard time. Like, I questioned him banging on doors. I was like, my son would not do that. But then the more I thought about it, if if the pressure was coming, you know, he he might have been losing his mind a little bit over Nicole and her behaviors. And... Because she was a liar. I mean, she liked to weave some stories. And who knows what she was telling him. She was telling you, of course, you saw it firsthand when you all worked together. Who knows what mm-hmm. she was, the lies she was telling to other people in Las Vegas, or even telling lies to Chris about maybe other men. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. She Like, she's the only one that has answers. And um, it's okay. devastating. Like, it's, it's almost like she carries the power and control. She knows what happened. Vegas closed his case or right after the Vanish podcast hit. Um, so yeah, now let's, talk, let's, let's get right into that right now. What did the police do in Las Vegas after August 6th? She files a report August 7th, but the listeners should know currently as now we're recording this on August 27th, 2017, Chris's missing persons case is closed. How did that happen? I was dealing with Detective Hernandez. Um, My son's case has had about, he's had several detectives. And it's been very frustrating because every time I call, they, it's like they want to recap the whole story all over again. And um, so, Finally, Detective Hernandez, you know, he said that he was assisting another detective on the case. Um, The Vanish podcast hit, and so I called Detective Hernandez, and I said, 
you know, rather than me sit on the phone for five hours with you, why don't you listen to the podcast? So he promised he would. I called back three days later to see if they listened to the podcast. Um, They referred me to Detective Denny. And they told me, Detective Denny told me that his lieutenant closed the case. Um, Why? I was dumbfounded. Why? Nicole's sister called Ashley, uh, I believe in January or February. And who is Ashley? Who's Ashley? Ashley's my 17-year-old daughter. Okay. Just a reminder. Okay. So, Nicole's sister called Ashley asking if Chris was dead. Um, Ashley immediately, like, contacted me and said, this is weird. Why is she asking me if Chris is dead? So, I contacted police. I contacted Detective Bardot at the time and left a message saying, why would Nicole's sister be asking if Chris was dead? Sparks Police came to my house to investigate the phone call. I never really heard anything back. Um, And based on Nicole's mother stating that Chris went to their house causing problems and she saw him alive, uh, they closed the case. Nicole states that she saw Chris. She told people she saw him at a plaza in Vegas. She says that she saw him in a Walmart in Reno with another woman. Um, and then in January, Nicole, I had people come forward after the podcast hit. Nicole was telling people that Chris committed suicide in January and I was planning his funeral as she was like wondering whether she should go or not. It just made me sick. Sick. Where... When was this alleged sighting? First of all, we should have establish, and we're going to be talking about another podcast here for a moment. When did the Vanish podcast uh, covered Chris's disappearance? When was that? Um, sorry, I'm so bad with dates. Um, I'm going to say it hit two months ago. It was two the months. beginning of summer. Okay, so it could have been in so May or no June. It came out in June. It came out in June. And so mm-hmm. since then, so so was it before that or after that that Nicole's mother said she saw Chris? It was before that. Before that. Okay. The police, was, all this happened, um, all this happened February, January, February, when right, so the well, phone call to Ashley happened. Well before the podcast ever came out. The other part. Yes. Okay. Um, where does Nicole's parents live? Where do they live? They live in Reno. Um, they live about three miles from my house. And they're saying that at some point, at least Nicole's mother is saying that Chris showed up there. He showed up there causing problems at the residence. But yet he never came to my house or Savannah's or Christian's. The only people that have seen Chris alive are Nicole and her mom. And on the strength of that, that is the reason that the Las Vegas Police Department Metro, what they call it down there, has closed the missing persons case. They didn't even leave it in cold case. They closed it. And so I went to Reno. I went to the Reno Sheriff's Office. Um, interesting story. I go to the Reno Sheriff's Office to try and open a missing persons case here so they can question Nikki. 
because I had more faith in Reno PD than I did with Vegas Metro. So last month, I go to file a missing persons report here. The detective told me um, that he's still in the missing persons database. And as long as he is, because Vegas Metro still has him in the database, they can't reopen a new case on him. Um, and I ended up getting arrested that day, too, on, like, a warrant I didn't know I had over signing a document. So, like, I went to jail overnight trying to file a missing persons report on my son. And so, it's to me, I'm, like, I'm not relying on police anymore. It's full media. It just seemed really weird. So, I don't know. I mean... When I talk about Vegas PD, I'm very honest. Like, Detective um, Bardot and Sergeant Burns, they were amazing in my son's case. They worked. Like, Sergeant Burns hired a private investigator that specialized in the sex trade. You know, he sent my son's flyer to every, you know, um, producer of porn. Like, we were really investigating different avenues of what could have happened to my son, um, including the transvestite Foxy, you know. And when they interviewed Foxy, they said, oh, no, she said she hadn't talked to Chris in a year. But, I mean, there were detectives that were amazing in the beginning, and then all of a sudden it was like, "Who, who's actually doing work? The apartment was never searched. Her car was never searched. Nothing was ever searched, you know. And so... My feeling is, if it was their child, all this would have been done already. I didn't mean, like, if I caused harm to Vegas Metro, like, if I made them look bad, I didn't mean to. I was just being honest in the frustration that nothing has been done in my son's case. Mm -hmm. Nothing. You, they you talked had, to Nicole once. You, you had expressed to me that you were a little fearful that the reason they might have closed the case on Chris is because of some of the interviews and things that you did in which you criticized them. A hundred percent. And I urge like, you not to feel that. I would urge you not to feel that way. Um, uh, there's police departments all across the United States that are doing the wrong things in missing persons cases. And they usually have nothing to usually has nothing to do with the interviews that family are doing. So um, I hope you don't continue to feel like that. I'm, I'm sure those two things are totally disconnected from each other. I would hope so, but um, I think, because for some reason, me and Detective Hernandez really didn't click. He he came off pretty hard, and um, I mean, I bet, like, when I, when I finally got to Denny, I broke down. Like, I was in the parking lot of my work when I got the news that they closed his case, and I had a meltdown. I couldn't. If it was their child, like, the case would be open. They'd be looking. Um, you know, every, like, when you're a parent, every time it rains, I pray that my son's remains are going to come up. Like, I, I know it sounds crazy, but you start thinking things like that. Like, just please give me his body. Give me something. She threw his wallet. She threw all his stuff in the trash, his pictures, everything. Like, give me something. Give me something to pray to, to say goodbye to. That's how I feel. So my motive wasn't, you know, to make Vegas PD look bad. I just wanted them 
to search the apartment. I wanted them to search her car. Like, whatever happened, Nicole did not do this alone. There's somebody out there that knows something. I agree with that. If something happened on that night or that morning, if Chris was going around banging, thinking, you know, banging on doors, looking for Nicole, thinking she was cheating on him and finally finds her. Uh, yes, it's hard to imagine that she might have done something to him and then disposed of his body all on her own. In fact, I, I think that's a total impossibility. Totally impossible. True. You are not done, though, telling all the lies that Nicole has told. You know, you're not done uh, talking about this. Even recently, um, she continues to spin some yarns about Chris and what happened to him and things that have gone on since. Uh, he disappeared. What can you tell the listeners about how she talked about a funeral? The neighbors and fr- friends of hers in January, she told friends that he committed suicide and I was planning a funeral. And she was wondering if she should attend or not because our relationship was hostile. <laughs> um so that's one story of many. If he disappears, he went to the Carpenters Union, he took a Bible, now she's saying he committed suicide. It's like he can't keep she can't keep her lies straight. She can't keep her lies straight. And that's why like that's why she has yet to walk into a police station or talk to detectives willingly. Um the tragedy in this is we've lost an amazing person that she probably took from us. But she, like, if you're being, like, if some crazy mom is accusing you of murdering her son, like, if it was me, I'd be down there taking a lie detector. I'd be, like, clearing my name. Um, But, see, my feeling is you put Nikki in an interrogation room for five minutes, they're going to figure her out. They've only questioned her once. And when was that? about what happened. And when was that? It was right after he went missing. She gave two fake addresses. Um, I went to file my missing persons report in Sparks, Nevada. And that morning I texted her and I said, I need your guys' address. Like, um, the police want to question you about what happened. So she gave me an address and I gave it to police. Um, I get a call from a police officer she's like i'm at a vacant address right now nobody lives here she's like where is nicole and so i text nicole and i'm like where are you like why did you give a fake address she sent us on a manhunt trying to find out where she lived by the like it was a different jurisdiction so that officer couldn't do anything she was like i can't do anything right now um by the time they found the real address, Nicole had moved back to Reno. She helped the upstairs neighbors move. And then she loaded up her car and she told our investigator um, she would do an interview in a week that she was going to Reno to um, celebrate her dad's birthday or an anniversary. And she never went back. She never went back to Vegas. And she is in Reno as we conduct this conversation. In fact, she doesn't live that far away from you, does she? No, she lives about um, eight miles from me. 
in an apartment instead, Nevada. And we've had people, there's rumors that the front end of her car was torn off. We had people message us on Facebook, um, Bridget, their old roommate, um, which I don't really want to, you know, expose people, but we need answers. And so Nicole has, Bridget has had to file reports against Nicole with her violent manners. She also said that her car was parked outside of the apartment with front end damage. Um, the problem with social media is that Nicole can get a heads up. She definitely has a mole in one of our groups. Um, so my cousin did go and search the apartments for the car. The car is now gone. Um, so at this point, we feel like, where do we go from here? Right. I'm just, I guess I'm really devastated that if anything, um, I question if it was a woman missing, would it be different? I mean, I think the boyfriend would have been brought in for questioning by now. If you're the last person to see somebody alive, um, you're a suspect. And like that's known. Why haven't they brought her in? It's a very good question. And you're right. It does. There does seem to be a different an attitude among police. And in fact, there is a Facebook group that deals with missing men exclusively. And it's called Men Go Missing Too. Because it does mm -hmm. seem that uh, men don't get as much attention when they go missing as women do. I, I would like to say, hopefully on the phone, we try to cover each gender um, equally. But... There's also this issue regarding, you know, because Nicole is not the only person that you have some criticism for. Of course, you suspect her, you know, causing Chris's disappearance. But you have uh, some criticism, and we, we talked about, uh, you talked about this woman earlier in our conversation, and that was uh, Chris's ex-wife, the mother of his child, of his son, uh, Destiny. And there was this something that you thought you knew about Chris FaceTiming with Ryan and her on August 6th that morning, but then you found out later that that didn't happen. How did that all get so confused? And Nicole had some things against destiny as well, didn't she? When Chris and destiny split, uh, he found images on her phone. She was nine months pregnant at the time. And, like, God knows I love Destiny. I love her, and I really wish things would have worked out with her and Chris. Um, but Chris had valid reasons to be extremely hurt. So there were these pictures, and at one point, um, me and Nicole actually kind of became friends. I always kind of had my guard up with her, just just because. Um, Nicole was telling me, like, I think Nicole had this image that they were going to get the baby. So the baby is young, like he's not even school age, so they shared custody. But I think Nicole had this image that it was going to be her, Chris, and Ryan. Nicole tried to get pregnant with Chris, and it was always an epic fail. 
Um, so I think Nicole at one point told me that she was going to blackmail Destiny with the pictures. And Nicole, it seemed sociopathic to me at the time. I felt scared for Destiny because Nicole was pulling strings. She said that she was threatening Destiny with child pornography because she was taking these nude photos while she was pregnant. And I thought, that's not child pornography. But at the same time, if somebody's threatening you with something like that, you know. You have to take it seriously. I, and Destin, Destiny might have been a little... I briefly to Destiny. Yeah. Like, Destiny does not want to talk about it. She doesn't want to talk about it. And we briefly... You know, I'm trying to save my relationship with my grandson. I love him very much. And when he lived with me, like, he was the absolute light of our life. But at this point, I want to find out, like, what happened to my son. I want closure. And it's not that I'm trying to make destiny look bad. I'm not. But I question why all this time he's been missing and the fa- like the father of your child, at one point, these two were in so much love. And Destiny has moved on. Like, she has a husband and a new baby, and I'm, like, so happy for her. But at the same time, you never called, like, Vegas Metro, or you never called us, like, to find out what happened. Nicole had told Destiny that she saw Chris at a plaza in Vegas. Um, right after he went missing and supposedly she told Destiny like, you know, oh, you know, she cried and said, why, why are you doing this to your family and me, Chris? And, but it just doesn't make sense. There's also the issue though of Destiny, I don't know if misleading you, but maybe some of the communication got, you know, construed or misconstrued some way about August 6th that morning with Chris and Ryan on the computer. You know, that she said that they um, FaceTime and then she, she has changed her mind since then. At that point, um, that was my cousin Savannah call. Cause I, I was like, we need to find out what happened. We have to call destiny. Um, and Nicole made it very clear that she didn't want me and destiny talking. There was always like this weird strain. Like I was like, um, you know, I'm a strong woman. I voice my opinion about things. Um, and I had to pull my son back together after, you know, the incident with the pictures when she was pregnant. So there was always kind of that strain there because of course I was going to take my son's side. He was my son. Um, but my heart was broken that I had this family that was now not a family and I wanted that for my grandson. But so... Yeah, Nicole straight up told me, like, she was going to blackmail Destiny with these pictures, get her on child pornography charges. And I I kind of laughed. I mean, it was like, how, you can't get somebody on, she was pregnant taking pictures, and there's no crime in that. She wasn't subjecting her child to any, I mean, I kind of just felt bad for Destiny. But at the same time, it's like, again, when I didn't hear from my father's children for three months, I would go into a straight panic, you know, um, and I would look for him and I would find him. But Destiny never looked. And her sister, 
And her sister is actually the one that contacted me um, after the podcast hit. They heard it. And I told Destiny, like, I would protect her from media. But at this point, there's no, like, I need to protect my son. Like, I need to find out what happened. There's no protecting. Why should I have to protect anybody? Why aren't they coming forward? Why aren't they asking questions? So the thing with the Skype, she had told my cousin that he did Skype Ryan on August 6th. Um, But then after the new contact, um, I'm going to say a month ago, she's saying that there was no Skype. And so the last that my son was placed alive was on August 5th. But then again, Nicole's never said he didn't Skype baby Ryan on the 6th. It was like she needed to have that. She needed to have that. He, like he was alive. He was alive on the 6th. Nicole never said he didn't Skype baby Ryan. And she would know. Right, she would. And what, it, and what really has happened here is that we have this date of August 6, 2016 as being the disappearance date of Chris. But that is all based on either Nicole, a woman we can't believe, or the FaceTime, which we now know didn't happen. She, you know, Destiny is saying it didn't happen. So it could be that Chris disappeared the night before on August 5th. So we might not even have the right date. I believe he went missing on the 5th. Um, I believe it happened in the evening. The whole story about the August 6th thing, my son even being up at 6 a.m. is hilarious to me. Um, Even when they lived here and we worked together, it was like he was not a morning person. He would would sleep. He would sleep carpooling. We would carpool to Fosdick, and my son would be in the passenger side, like, falling asleep. And I just don't, you know, and plus it was a Saturday and it just, it never made sense to me why you would, nobody gets up to go get a job at 6 a.m. Like I live in Reno, we're a 24 hour town, but business offices don't open until eight or nine. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess my goal at this point, um, I want Nicole questioned. I want I want to find out what happened on the 5th. Only Nicole knows. Yeah. She knows what happened to my son. I'm 100% of that. I'm sure of that. Like, she knows what happened to my son. Um, I need to ask you this, and I've asked you this a couple times uh, in prior conversations, but being that uh, your son might have told her that he was gay or bisexual, whatever term you want to use, do you think it's possible that Chris's disappearance could be a hate crime? I believe that. Um, Well, I mean, is it a hate crime if you find out your husband or someone you love is gay and you're in love with them, you sleep in the same bed with them, but they're opting to maybe change their life. If it was a hate crime... Did she tell the wrong people? Um, this man that was in her apartment, did they did they just I did something happen? I it like when we start talking about my son's sexuality, he definitely was at a place in his life where he was becoming himself. He was finding himself. 
at one point he talked about doing tranny porn with Foxy. Um, and as a woman, I look at that. If a man I love came home and said, you know, and I'm not a controlling person, right? So it would still upset me and make me angry. But what would that do to somebody who's controlling and obsessed with you? Like, it would probably not be a good outcome. I I agree with you. I totally agree with you, Dawn. And that's why I feel that I needed to ask you that question because if there was some, some, you know, some instigation to all of this, it does seem to me that there is some timing in there between him deciding this about himself and who he is and then him disappearing. I don't believe at this point that those two things are a coincidence. Um, I don't either. I think that, um, you know, maybe things started escalating on August 4th. I think Nicole probably had just had enough by the 5th. But definitely, I i mean, I believe she was seeing somebody else just based on the phone call we had. Um, when the person you love goes missing, you don't have another man in your apartment, like, to comfort you. <laughs> like, that really struck a chord with me right away. And I thought, is this man involved in my son's murder? Is really what I thought. Do you know who that man was? We don't, we're going to use his name. Do you know who he is? Yes. Okay. Nicole, when my son went missing, she swore she was pregnant with Chris's baby. And she was on the phone crying with me. How could he leave me? How could he leave me pregnant? And my only thought was he wouldn't. Like, my son wouldn't leave you pregnant. Um, so then, as we investigated, we found a Facebook page. Um, she was on Facebook in a new relationship five months later, um, with this man and they were claiming that they were having a baby, but to this day, there's no baby born. There's no baby. Cause I asked her, I said, what happened? I said, Nicole, what happened to my grandbaby? Like, are you still pregnant? Like what's going on? And she said that her dad forced her to go down and have an abortion. And I thought, all those years, you tried so hard to get pregnant. There's no way she would have an abortion with my son's baby. But so, you know, I I don't believe a baby existed. I think in the beginning, the baby was a sympathy pawn. Like, I think it was, oh, here, she lost her boyfriend and she's pregnant. But she, I don't believe she was ever pregnant. Dawn, what has this last year been like? I wake up every morning and my son is, he's the first thing on my mind every day. At one point, I really lost my mind over this. Um, Chris being my first child, I was so young when I had him. We kind of grew up together. It's kind of a different relationship. Um, It's been hell. My mom died. My mom died and her heart was broken. 
she literally had heart attacks and my mom was a strong woman and I never heard her cry. Um, at the end of her life, she would just call me sobbing, like, please find him, bring him home. Get answers. I have a 17-year-old who Chris was best friends with. He was so protective of her and like, I can't take away her sadness. It doesn't matter what I do. I can't take away her sadness. So the last year, we've all had to learn how to be strong. Um, I want to be that spirit that my son was. He was loving and helpful and kind. And I don't want this to make us hard. Some days I feel lost. I don't understand why police just won't just bring her in for questioning, for God's sakes. Like, get me the answers. Get my family the answers we deserve. Like, we need closure. So the last year has been kind of growth, and it's been loss, if that makes sense. Like, I've had to come to a point where I had to change my life for the better or I was going to really lose it over this. But, like, I want my son and my mom to be proud of me, so I just keep going. But there's never. I Like, I'm at work, and my son is on my mind all day. It's It's like he's still alive. You still think, you know, you still think about them. You think, I don't know. You just think about them like, he's not here. I can't hold him. I can't touch him. I can't feel tiny in his big arms. Like, I don't know. We miss him and we want him home. I'm really proud of my family. I think dealing with the pain, like my dad, you know, my my dad, Tom, and my cousin, and Ashley, I'm really proud of all of them because we all have had to develop kind of a sense of strength um, without him. We know he's gone. Like, we know he's gone. It's just finding out what happened. We want his, I want to know, I kind of want to know, and I don't want to know what happened, his final moments. I feel like he suffered. The listeners should know that not only uh, are you appearing on Unfound right now, um, of course, The Vanished podcast has already interviewed you once. I understand you've told me that they're going to be doing a part two that's going to be coming out at some point. There is a part two, um, and uh, Fox 5 Vegas um, Friday called me and they're taking his case so we're figuring out like am I going to go to Vegas or are they traveling here but um I'm so impeccably like grateful uh, my whole goal is like is if Nikki's not going to talk I'm going to find answers and the only way I I feel like I can't rely on police like media has to be that I don't want the world to forget my son 
he wasn't forgettable. Like, he's not a forgettable person. He didn't, like, choose to get into a bad situation. He wasn't on drugs. He wasn't a mean person. Like, he didn't put himself in a bad situation. This could be anybody's son. When your child leaves to go to school, you don't know, is that the last day you're going to see them? Like, when me and my son had that argument, did I think that would be the last day? I just don't want, I don't want him to be, like, forgotten. Well, I know myself, I know the host at uh, The Vanished, Marissa. I know mm-hmm. that the people at Fox 5 Las Vegas, I'm familiar with that TV station. I used to live there. Uh, I All I can tell you is we're going to all try to do our best to make sure that uh, Chris Turner is not forgotten. And hopefully um, we can get answers uh, for you very soon. I think the, the first step in all of this is trying to get a missing persons report in Las Vegas reopened. I don't know how much the police are going to be able to do at this point, uh, as long as the report is closed, to have to try to get that reopened. And I'm sure the listeners, myself, Marissa, Fox 5, everybody else that is involved in publicizing Chris's disappearance is going to do our best uh, to make that happen, Dawn. Right. Yeah, I just, you know, the fact that his case was based on hearsay, they have no proof or evidence that my son is alive. There's no, there's no evidence. He, like, it's all based on what Nicole or her mom says. And if you can provide me proof, uh, my son has, um, since he went missing, he has a warrant in Yarrington, Nevada for unpaid tickets. So it's like, if he was picked up, we would know. Like, he's in the national database. There's been no sighting of him. We're in coordination with Salvation Army in Vegas. If somebody matches his description, they send us pictures. Um, And there is another Chris Turner that went missing, and his date of birth is 310-94. My son's um, date of birth is 310-93. So, um, you know, we've had calls going, oh, we found your son, but it's not him. Um, I just, you know, I promised my mom I wouldn't stop. Um, Chris was, he's the love of our life (laughs) and he deserves justice. He deserves a place to rest. Um, you know, at one point I called Vegas PD and one of the detectives, I said, my son is dead. And they said, how can you say that? You know, how can you say that about your own son? Nobody wants to say that about their son, but you just know. You just know he's gone. Dawn, any last words before we conclude this interview today? Um... I'm really good at keeping promises. Um, I told Nicole from the beginning I'm coming for her. Like, I'm not stopping. You can't can't take the love of my life away from me and just hide. 
there's no hiding. There's no hiding. And like whatever happened to my son, he didn't deserve it. He was very kind and loving and sweet. And I just, like I've told Nicole, this whole time I'm coming. I won't stop until I know what happened. I want my son's body. I want his bones. I want him in an urn with my mom. Dawn, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. And that was my interview with Dawn Turner, mother of Chris Turner. I thank her for appearing on this episode. I also need to thank some of Chris's other family members who assisted in giving me more insight into Chris and this case. Also, I need to thank a young woman, I'll leave her name out of everything at this point, who was able to have communications with Nicole within the last few months, then passing the content of those conversations on to me. All of you should know that Dawn's interview with Unfound is part of a round of interviews that she is doing. She will appear on Fox 5 TV in Las Vegas very soon, and she'll also be doing a part two with the Vanished podcast, having done part one back in June or July. I appreciate Dawn including Unfound in her media appearances. I hope Unfound and the other shows can assist in getting answers for Dawn and her family. Where to go with this case? The stories that Nicole has told, let's just call them lies, have certainly clouded everything. But I continue to believe that somewhere within all her talk, there are things to be learned. As you heard in the interview, I don't believe Chris is coming out of the closet and him disappearing shortly after is a coincidence. And within Nicole's stories, I think that that can be deduced. Although many women would certainly be understanding regarding Chris's sexual awakening, Nicole doesn't sound to me like the understanding type. I've also convinced myself that she probably conned a man or men into doing her dirty work with a combination of lies, somewhat similar to what she did in Reno when Nicole worked with Don and Chris together. I could see her telling a guy upon finding out that Chris wasn't heterosexual, that Chris had abused his son, that he was a sexual deviant, etc., etc., etc. The problem at this point, as bad as Nicole's lies are, until Metro opens up Chris's case again, nothing is ever going to get done. I mean, even missing persons cases that are still open get very little attention. A missing person whose case isn't even open anymore? Zero. That will be how much attention it gets. And I fear that without Metro opening the case again, Chris Turner will continue to be missing, and that his case will never be solved. So as bad as Nicole's lies are, the case being closed is worse. And I would say, once the case does get opened again, let's think positively about this. The first thing Metro needs to do is to remind Nicole's mother that lying to police to cover up a felony, possibly a murder, is a felony in and of itself. But as with every episode of Unfound, I'll leave the rest of the theorizing and opinion-making up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to Podomatic, Stitcher, and or iTunes and give Unfound a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.